Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we bless you and thank you for this day, for this time. We pray now that everything that we do and say will be pleasing in your sight. Pray, God, for somebody for whom this message is specifically tailored and intended by the power of your Holy Spirit. Touch them where they are and help them to move from where they are to where you desire them to be. We ask you to bless as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At one time or another, all of us will feel this emotion. Parents will feel it. Children will feel it. Siblings will feel it. Men will feel it. Women will feel it. Spouses will feel it. Family and friends will feel it alike. This is an emotion that can really have some devastating side effects. Depression, headaches, anxiety, worry. And while many times people who experience some of these side effects from this emotion try to treat the symptom, the truth of the matter is they really need to look at the root of their problem. And the root is guilt. Every one of us have felt it, and if you haven't felt it, you've had somebody who has tried to make you feel it. Guilt, grief, sorrow, it goes by many names, but it can be both debilitating and devastating. But the word of God is interesting in that in our scripture today, our foundational text, the Bible shows us that we really have more power over guilt than we realize. That for many of us, the guilt that we feel is nothing more than self-imposed pain. That we choose to not just feel guilty, but to remain guilty. And today I want to challenge somebody. I want to help somebody today to experience the freedom that God has for you. I want you to claim your freeness from guilt. To no longer walk in the guilt that somebody else is projecting upon you. And for somebody else who may specialize in trying to make other people feel guilty, I want to help you today to finally let it go. Today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought, how to get good out of your guilt. How to get good out of your guilt. Most of us, when we think about guilt, we think about it as a negative emotion. We think about it as something bad. But today I want you to see guilt as a good, something good that you can get out of your guilt and how you can become good or better out of the guilt that you may have been experiencing. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. There are four things I want you to see today that I hope will show you how to get some good out of guilt that comes 
into your life. Now, foundational text is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And when you look at the letters to the church at Corinth, you will find a church that really was kind of messed up. Uh, the church at Corinth, especially if you go through the first letter, was a church that was filled with divisions and filled with pride. There were factions in the church. There was a lot of messiness in the church. There was immorality and fraud. Uh, there was the abusing of spiritual gifts. There were all kinds of things going on in the church. And when we get to that second letter to the church at Corinth, it's interesting because uh, they even challenge the credibility of Paul. They start questioning his character. They start questioning his integrity. And Paul responds in a way that some would deem kind of harsh. He basically checks them, puts them back in their place. He checks them so much so that they back up, back off, and he recognizes that they are experiencing a kind of grief or guilt for what they have done. Now, here's the key. The key wasn't that they experienced guilt. The key was how would they respond to the guilt that they experienced? See, the truth of us, the truth is all of us will experience grief and all of us will experience guilt. But how do you respond to it? Do you make it a part of your permanent residence? Do you embrace it and claim a lifelong partnership with it? Or do you deal with it, address it, and allow it to become a positive force in your life to move you closer to God. Here's the first thing. Number one, if you're going to get good out of your guilt, you must realize you have, are, and will make mistakes in life. You have, are, and will make mistakes in life. I need to deliver somebody in here from the false impression of perfection. You are not perfect. Not only do the people who try to make you feel guilty need to know it, but you need to know it. You are not perfect. Look at Psalm 51 beginning at verse 5. The New Living Translation says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. The Bible says we were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Why? Because we have a congenital birth defect called sin. That is a part of our spirit. Romans 5.12 tells us when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We know intuitively and intellectually that Romans 3.23 says, For everyone or all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But somehow we come to the place where we think y'all have sinned. And it's not me that has sinned. Listen. You will make mistakes in life. The question is not will or won't you make mistakes. 
The question is, will you make less mistakes as you get older in life? And will you stop making the same mistake that you've made in the past? But somebody today just experienced that deliverance, that freedom, that you are going to make mistakes in life. You know, it's amazing, especially with our children, how they love to project a perfection on their parents that they can't live up to themselves. And you know what the best payback is for that? Them having their own children. Oh, my God. When they have their own children, yes, Lord, they have their own children. And their children get old enough to think that they're messed up. First John 1, 8, look at what it says. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. First John 1, 10, let's read it together. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. All of us are going to fall. The question is, are we going to get back up? Which leads me to the second thing. Number two, in order to get good out of your guilt, you need to realize you have the power to choose what your grief will become in your life. You have the power to choose what your guilt is going to become. Guilt is going to come. But what will you do with it? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Paul says, I didn't take pleasure in the fact that I checked you and made you feel bad. I'm taking pleasure in the fact that after I checked you, you did something positive with the checking you received. Uh, look at the word grief. The word grief there literally means to distress or to be sad. Uh, it, it can also, I think, refer to uh, being sorrowful. Uh, many times it is reflexive or in the middle or passive voice. In other words, we are receiving the guilt that is being put upon us or we are taking guilt on ourselves. Sometimes you feel guilty about something and the other person may be like, it's all right. It's good. You say, no, man, I feel really bad about that. And then sometimes there's other folk who want you to feel guilty because misery loves company. And because their pain is unresolved, they want you to continue to experience their pain or the effects of their pain, even though you can't undo what you have done. Write this down somewhere. All guilt is not created equal. You say, how do you know that? It's right there in verse 10. Look at the A part of verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Look at A. Godly grief leads to repentance that leads to salvation without regrets. Take your time. Don't miss this. Godly grief. Godly grief. What is godly grief? What is godly guilt? It is a guilt that drives you to God. 
that drives you to God in an act of repentance. Now, repentance is not just being sorry for what you've done. Repentance is a decision that is based on what has happened and a determination not to repeat it again. It is an attitude that is matched with an action. I am sorry for what I've done and I am committed to not doing it again. I am going to change the way I live. Somebody in here, you made a mistake and you have repented of that mistake. But there's somebody who won't let you live it down. They keep coming back over and over again. And it's like, look here, that's like years ago. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. But because they haven't resolved it, they want to help you relive it. Paul says, listen, godly grief repents, changes your attitude and your actions, changes your behavior that leads to salvation, deliverance, without regret. How do you know if your grief is godly or ungodly? If you are still living with regret, it is not godly. Because once it shifts into the realm of godly grief and you have repented for it and it has changed your life, it should have delivered you from that place of negativity and you should no longer have regret. Not that you wouldn't change what you have done in the past if you could do it over again, but since you can't, it's time to move forward in your life. Look at somebody and tell them move forward. Even if the person who says they've been hurt won't move forward, sometimes you got to move forward without them. Look at Acts 26, verse 20. We're talking about repentance. But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. When you repent, there ought to be a change in your actions. We ought to see something different taking place in your life. So godly guilt will move you to take responsibility for your actions. But watch this. It does not require you to take responsibility for somebody else's unresolved issues. Because that's their issue. And you can't fix them by feeling bad for what's happened in the past. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, this has a salvific context to it, but I think all of us need to understand the power of repentance even after you come to know Jesus and becoming what God wants you to be. But watch this. It's not just godly guilt out there. Here's the second kind of guilt, worldly grief, B, worldly grief. And worldly grief, the Bible says, produces death. 
let me put a quarter in the meter and park here for somebody. Seven, verse 10, the B part, 2 Corinthians. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. Now, that death is twofold. It can be literal in terms of physical death, but it can also manifest itself in spiritual death. He says when grief is unchecked and is not dealt with in a biblical way, grief can kill you. There's somebody in here right now. You can muster up a smile if you have to. And you can pretend to be all right. But your spirit has been vexed because of guilt. You can't have the joy that God wants you to have. You can't walk in the fullness of who God has created you to be because of guilt. And the Bible says that guilt unchecked leads to death. How many people walk around in perpetual sadness? Because of guilt that's unchecked. How many people do you surmise have attempted to take their lives if not succeeded in taking their lives because of unresolved guilt? They didn't see guilt as a vehicle to get better. They saw guilt as a vehicle to damnation and they saw guilt as a vehicle to bitterness and they literally died. Proverbs 15, 3. Let's read it together. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. You sound good. Go to Proverbs 17, 22. Let's read it together. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. How many times have you seen somebody whose spirit was crushed because of guilt? How many times has your spirit been crushed because of guilt that's become a load too heavy to carry? Here's the third thing. Number three, in order to get good out of your guilt, you must admit and confess your sins. You must admit and confess your sins. Can I tell you something powerful about admitting and confessing your sins? Once they're admitted and once they're confessed, that's all you can do with it. It's like admit it, confess it, repent, and roll on. You say, well, they're not receiving it. I don't care if they receive it. All I've got to do is release it. Whether they pick up their responsibility or not is not up to me. That's up to them. Look at Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Somebody in here, you pretend to be perfect. And your pretending to be perfect is a problem. Your pretending like you make no mistakes is a problem. The Bible says, don't conceal your sin. Don't hide it. Admit it. Can I tell you two things we do? We will try to hide our sins 
or hide from our sins. Uh, it's that old shaggy tune. It wasn't me. <laughs> Saw you in the window. Wasn't me. <laughs> on the counter. Wasn't me. Tapped you on the shoulder. Wasn't me. <laughs> right? Because that is part of the law of self-preservation. When you get caught, lie. You got to catch him, hold him down, tie him up, take pictures, videotape, audio confession, and then some of us will still get up and say, it wasn't me or they made me confess. Isn't that what, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve, they sin. Here comes God in the cool of the evening, and they start hiding. They start hiding. First, they took some leaves and made fig leaves, garments, and then they start. So they started to hide from each other, and then they tried to hide from God. God said, why are you hiding? Who told you to sin? Adam said, it's the woman that you gave me. She, she made me. God, if I just had another wife. Wife said it was the snake, it was the serpent. If I just had a better pet, <laughs> and the serpent said, "That's just the way you made me, God. I just you just made me like that." Look at A. You must confess your sins to God. You must confess your sins to God. Listen, God knows that we fall short. Somebody in here, you must confess your sins to God. Psalm 51, beginning at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You must turn to God and confess your sins. Your sin can only be addressed when you turn to God. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. You must confess your sin to God. Stuff is not going to get right until it's right between you and God. Stop denying it. Stop excusing it. And call it what it is. But watch this. Go to B. B, you must confess your sins to the people affected by your mistakes. You must confess your sins to the people affected by your mistakes. Now listen to me carefully. This has nothing to do with whether your mistake was intentional or not. You don't have to mean to hurt somebody in order for them to be hurt. If you didn't mean to poke somebody in the eye, that still doesn't change the fact that they were poked in the eye. Which means if somebody is offended, you have to acknowledge that offense. Don't minimize it. Don't marginalize it. Don't hide from it. Own it. But just because you own it 
doesn't mean you have to keep it forever. Give me an example. So we had a funeral here at the church, and a brother came up to me. He's not a member of the church. We talk every time I see him, and he wants to meet, and we've had a couple of meetings, but kind of missed each other. And he walked up to me, very serious, and he said, Pastor, I just want you to know, last time I was here, you really hurt me. So I was like, wow, okay, how did I hurt you? He said, you said you, would, you didn't want to have nothing to do with me. So I started thinking, like, man, when did I say that? I said, I didn't want to have nothing to do with you. Like, man, when did I say that? Now, it's not that I want to have a lot to do with him. <laughs> I'm trying to be honest with y'all. I, 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 I mean, you know, like we ain't trying to, ha- I ain't trying to hang out with him, right? I, you know, but I was thinking, man, what did I say? And y- y'all know I'm only being serious. Anyway, so I was trying to figure, so, so when I thought about it, I said, you mean to tell me that time we was talking and we were going back and forth and we were joking? And I said, oh, man, I ain't fooling with you no more. He said, yeah, you say you ain't fooling with me no more. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's why I don't fool with you. Man. <laughs> I, I, I was in my flesh, y'all. I was in my flesh. Deacon Witchin, I was in my flesh. I was in my... And I, and I said, man... But, but, but I'm thinking that I was playing. I was joking, right? But he was hurt by that. So what did I have to do? I had to own that. Man, hey, man, I'm sorry. Brother, that was not my intention. My, I thought we were just playing. I thought we were just joking because we joked like that. We've been joking like that for years. I said, man, but you know what? I'm sorry, man, that I offended you. And let's make sure we get together so we can rectify this and we can squash it, Right? Because I can't live my life based on what I meant if that's not how people feel. Right? There are people who are going to be offended by what you did. There are people who are going to be hurt by what you did. And all you can do is, or all you should do is own it and acknowledge their pain. Acknowledge their hurt. Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Brother, I'm sorry. Sister, I'm sorry. Son, I'm sorry. Daughter, I'm sorry. Mama, I'm sorry. Daddy, I'm sorry. Let's pray. If I made you feel like that, whether I intended it or not, I made you feel that way, I'm sorry. And I'm not going to use my imperfections as an excuse for my sin or my mistake. It may explain my shortcoming, but it doesn't excuse my shortcoming. Look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 23. 
So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Why? Because without reconciliation of the horizontal, my worship to God in the vertical is null and void. I've got to make sure it's right and do my part to make it right. Even if somebody else wants to keep it wrong. Here's the fourth and final thing. Number four, in order to get good out of your guilt, you must forgive yourself just as God has forgiven you. Even when other people don't want or can't. You've got to forgive yourself. You have to let it go even if other people don't want to. Some people can't let it go. Some people won't let it go. Some people don't want to let it go. Why? Because the pain of their past becomes an excuse for the failures in their present. They've got all of this stuff in the past, and you're like, okay, wait a minute. You can explain it like that? Like you, you, you understand all of it? Somebody in here, let me help set you free. If you can identify the perpetrator of the pain, the place of the pain, the period of the pain, then you should also be able to now identify deliverance from the pain. longer are you going to walk around? It's been 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And it's still affecting you. When are you going to trust God and let it go? And when you have somebody who is trying to make you feel guilty, who won't release their own pain, then you have to release them. You've got to literally say, look, I'm sorry. I apologize. Man, it wasn't my intention. And if I could do it over again, I promise you I would do it differently. All I can do is ask for your forgiveness. Let's pray. And then I'm done with it. Because now, if you hold on to it, you trying to make your issue my issue. And I got enough of my own issues to feel guilty about your issue. Look at Psalm 103, verse 3. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Circle the words all. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. Look at verse 11 in Psalm 103. You can read those other verses on your own. For his unfailing love, verse 11, toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Psalm 51 says he will blot out our sins. Blot them out. God's love for you and God's forgiveness of you should be the foundation upon which you love yourself and forgive yourself. But can I tell you what worldly guilt will do? Worldly guilt will cause you to beat your own self up. Uh, I, I was flipping the channels the other day, 
and I was watching uh, the Ultimate Fighter Mixed Martial Arts. And, and you know what I realized? I have never seen an MMA fight or a boxing match where a person went in the ring and intentionally punched themselves. Maybe you have. I've never seen anybody intentionally beat themselves up or intentionally try to knock themselves out. If somebody went in the ring with an opponent on the other side and tried to beat themselves up, matter of fact, if they didn't have an opponent on the other side, they tried to beat themselves up, you think there's something wrong with them. Then why do we beat ourselves up with guilt? Because in essence, that's what you're doing. You are beating yourself up. And sometimes you're beating yourself up and the other person has gone on about their business. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Whenever your heart condemns you, whenever your heart is trying to bring back in worldly grief and worldly guilt, you need to remind your heart that that has already been settled on the cross. That has already been taken to the altar and you are not going to receive what your heart is trying to bring back in because God is greater than your heart. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 13. Let's read it together. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I want you to underline that, canceled the record of the charges. You know, there's a lot of talk in Washington now about the president and his ability to pardon people. And what a lot of us don't know is while a presidential pardon is a great thing to have when you have been convicted of a crime, it's not the best thing to have. A pardon still shows up on your record that you've been convicted, but you were pardoned from having to pay for the crime you committed. But an expungement is different than a pardon. Because an expungement washes your record clean so that if anybody runs a background check on you, it doesn't even show up. It's like it never happened. God doesn't specialize in pardoning sin. He specializes by the blood of the lamb. He specializes in expungement. He washes our record clear. So if the charges have been dismissed and your record is clear, why walk around like you're still guilty? Somebody today, I want you to leave here ready to release the guilt and grief that you've been carrying around. The questions that are part of our outline, I work hard on those questions for you, not just for the small groups, but for those of you who want to study privately and personally, to look at your life and say, you know what, God, how can I let it go? 
And in you letting go of the guilt, you might be able to help somebody else let go of their pain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that all that we have received, all that you have provided is by your grace. Uh, It is unmerited, undeserved. The blessings that we have received from you, the forgiveness, the justification, the peace, the reconciliation. And God, sometimes that, that guilt can become so toxic in our own spirit that it will manifest itself physically in our bodies. The stress, the headaches, the rashes, the breaking out hives. And many times we try to treat the symptoms with drugs and alcohol or food or other ways. And God, what we really need to do is take that guilt, give it to you, and release it and let it go. God, you have set us free. Help us to walk in that freedom so that we would experience no more guilt and no more shame. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen.